I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you on a Thursday afternoon, the 30th anniversary of the death of Chris Street, uh, the airing of the documentary on the Big Ten Network last night. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. And uh, and later on in this episode, uh, I'm going to bring back a um, an interview, a segment, I guess a, almost a full hour of, of radio that um, I was a part of uh, although not as much on the air, uh, with the Murph and Andy show uh, here in Des Moines, uh, 106.3 KXNO, 1460 AM. So the radio station that I work for, and um, and Murph and Andy show is the show that I produce each and every day with Keith Murphy and Andy Fails. And five years ago today, we had uh, an incredible hour of radio where Rick Brown from... Uh, then I believe still the Des Moines Register. Now he's he's with us here at Hawkeye Nation and, and does a lot of stuff. He's kind of the the Iowa basketball historian and, and certainly uh, the voice of authority on on Chris Street, having written the book uh, Emotion in Motion and uh, and having been close with the Street family for for a long time now. Really had the having the trust of the Street family. He was a part of the documentary on the Big Ten Network. Uh, he came in studio as did Wade Looking Bill, of course, a, a teammate of Chris Street's. Um, a guy who you'll hear on on the radio station from time to time now talking Hawkeye basketball and, and has been on a couple of times over the last week or so talking about Chris Street. And then Mike Street, uh, Chris's father, uh, was also in studio with, with Murph and Andy. Um, it's about 40 minutes. Uh, it was on the 25th anniversary, and it was uh, really an incredible uh way to remember Chris Street. And so uh, at the end of, of my portion of this podcast, I'm, I'm going to bring that back. Uh, and so you can listen to that. If, if you haven't heard it, even if you have, I'd recommend it. Um, it just really goes in depth. And again, with, with some of the, the best voices you're ever going to hear on, on this Chris Street situation and, and Rick and Mike and Wade. Uh, I will get to all that here in just a moment, but there's some other things to talk about uh, before that, and so so I want to get to that. Uh, I haven't been with you since uh, I guess since last Thursday and the win over Michigan, the the overtime win, the comeback win. Uh, Iowa won on Sunday afternoon as well. Um, I had a lot going on over the weekend, and so I didn't I wasn't able to do an instant reaction podcast. And honestly, that uh, didn't warrant a lot of instant reaction, other than you know Tony Perkins kind of breaking out of his slump, being being the leading scorer, a career high twenty two points for him, um, and just a, a nice handy win for the Hawkeyes. Uh, it never got too close in the second half. Iowa won eighty one to sixty seven. Looked good doing it. It was the fourth win in a row. And you know you come out of that Sunday night thinking, all right, this this Northwestern game on Wednesday, uh, in correlation with you know not the exact date, but uh, the the 30th anniversary of of the death of Chris Street, in correlation with the airing of the documentary on the Big Ten Network, which was scheduled to air just uh, after the Iowa Northwestern basketball game. 
But then we find out Tuesday, I believe Tuesday morning, it started to leak out. David Eichel from 24-7 Sports was the first I saw. Uh, I talked with Chad Lysico at the Des Moines Register not long after that, and he had heard something uh, along those lines as well. Then, and then within a couple of hours, it had all been confirmed that uh, that game was going to be postponed. It wasn't going to happen Wednesday night. Northwestern wasn't going to be able to field the team uh, to come to Iowa City and, and play the Hawkeyes on Wednesday night partially due to injuries, partially due to COVID. We haven't gotten a lot of information, or at least I haven't, on on everything that happened within within Northwestern's locker room. Um, why was this? You know, I think just, you know, three years later, it was interesting to have a COVID situation pop up when that happened obviously a lot in the 2020-2021 season. It happened a handful of times uh, last season as well, but and I know it has happened nationally in places this year, but it hadn't happened uh, to anyone that, that we were aware of or that we keep tabs on, anybody in the Big Ten. Certainly hadn't happened to any Iowa teams uh, where COVID was a reason to postpone a game. And so that instantly brought up you know, a, a lot of different talking points, a lot of different topics. Um, you know, Should it be an automatic forfeit? Had the Big Ten... Because the Big Ten had changed rules a couple of times about whether or not that would be an automatic forfeit. I think coming out of uh, the height of the the pandemic, uh, what a, a year or so into it, when vaccines became readily available, the Big Ten went to a p- policy in a position of, hey, if a team can't field the uh, if if a program can't field the team in a given night because of COVID, that's kind of on them at this point. And and if if that's the case, then it should be a forfeit. Well, then you have last fall and, and the Omicron variant and, and things got worse and uh, the, the vaccines weren't bulletproof by any means. And so uh, they walked that back a little bit and said this won't automatically be a forfeit. It would be interesting to see what the Big Ten ultimately would have done had this game not been able to be uh, rescheduled. And I don't know about Northwestern's future coming up here. I know their game with Wisconsin has been postponed and I'm assuming that will be rescheduled at some point as well. Uh, but if... If for whatever reason it was unable to be rescheduled, or honestly, if Iowa got to a point where they said, "Hey, there's no room in our schedule for this. We'd like to play the game, uh, but we just don't. We're, we're not going to put ourselves in a bad situation uh, in order to do so." What would the Big Ten have done? I would imagine they would have had to have awarded Iowa the win uh, and Northwestern the forfeit. Because it is on Northwestern, the reason this game wasn't played. Ultimately, that's not how it's going to go. And I think this is a good thing for everybody. It's it's not a perfect situation for Iowa. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think Iowa uh, would have, would rather have played last night than not played. Uh, I think they were preparing for this game. I think they're on a four-game winning streak, uh, another home game. I think by all accounts, it seems like Patrick McCaffrey is on his way back. And and honestly, I think that, that returning in front of a home crowd – uh, on a night like that where the emotion was going to be so high and, and uh, almost no matter what, he wasn't going to be the focal point of anything inside Carver-Hawkeye Arena on Wednesday night. I think that seemed like a really good situation for him to return. Um, and whether or not he returns Saturday, uh, we'll, we'll find out. Um, Fran McCaffrey met with the media today. He said that, that Patrick has been practicing, uh, that he's eager to get back, 
that his conditioning seems good. He's missed four games, Patrick has. Um, and so, you know, it's going to take him a little bit to get back. And and so we'll see if he plays at all. If he suits up Saturday, I would imagine he'll suit up. We'll see if he plays at all. We'll see how much he plays. And we'll see how effective he is. Um, and we'll see how effective he needs to be. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. As I don't want to get too far off track uh, down this road. I tend to tangent a little bit uh, from time to time. But I'm glad that this Northwestern game has been able to be rescheduled. They're, they're going to place it on Tuesday, January 31st, uh, essentially swapping out off weeks for Iowa, you know, between weekend games. Rather than having it uh, between Rutgers and Illinois, you now have that off week this week between Maryland and the game at Ohio State on Saturday afternoon. And I think this this is just fine. It fits well with Iowa. You know, an 8 o'clock tip on a weeknight is not not ideal uh, I don't know what the crowd will look like inside of Carver Hawkeye Arena that evening, uh, but that is kind of serendipitously uh, the the 30th anniversary of the Iowa Michigan game, the first home game uh, that was prominently featured in the documentary is is brought up anytime you talk about Chris Street and the reaction to it and the aftermath of it. Uh, that first home game after the death of Chris Street was January 31st. 1993. It was the Fab Five. It was Jim Nance and crew in town, and it was a huge, huge win uh, for the Hawkeyes. Um, before you know that season kind of started to fall apart a little bit, but uh, so so there is some kind of nice stuff there. I'm sure there will be some sort of. Um, tribute or uh, acknowledgement of that being that anniversary and of Chris Street on that night inside Carver Hawkeye Arena and you know who knows what the this Northwestern team looks like by then who knows if they've recovered fully uh, but again you, you don't you don't want to punish Northwestern too much for this I know that the initial knee-jerk reaction from a lot of fans, and maybe even your reaction now, uh, finding out that this game has been rescheduled, is that this should have been an automatic forfeit for Northwestern. Iowa should not be put in a worse position because of something Northwestern uh, was dealing with. And and I, I understand the sentiment of that. I understand the emotion of that. Uh, and really even the logic of that to some extent. But n- nobody in Iowa's program wanted that to be the case. I, I can't imagine Iowa's players, coaches, or staff were thinking, oh, good, just give us the win. We don't care if we earn it or not. We don't care if we have this game or not. No, these these, these guys want to play. They want these games. Uh, they want to prove themselves worthy of whatever ranking they ultimately end up with uh, in the standings in the Big Ten. They want to prove themselves worthy of whatever seed they have in the Big Ten tournament and ultimately NCAA, the NCAA tournament. Uh, so, so they want to play this game. They they want to go out there and beat Northwestern. They don't want to just assume that they would have beat Northwestern. They they don't want to just be handed a win. They want this game, and so I think that that Tuesday between a home game Sunday afternoon against Rutgers, then a Tuesday night game, and then a home game Saturday against Illinois, which was sold out and it's fantastic. I'm excited about that. Um, I think that that fits perfectly. You're not asking the team to do too much. It's not going to put extra onus on you, um, and it's it's three home games. You get that nice three game home stand, uh, and and I think I think it's all fair. I think that's the biggest thing. I think I think it is fair for Iowa uh, to have this happen. Now, ultimately, what does it mean, and and how does it affect things? I have no idea. None of us do. We will see. Uh, you hope it's not a 2014 situation, and again, even that situation, it's so hard to know uh, what ultimately would have happened had Iowa been able to play that game. Uh, at Indiana 
you know, if Assembly Hall wasn't falling apart. And if you forgot about that, uh, good on you, first of all. I, I wish I could forget about the end of that season. It's kind of when the Fran Fade uh, talking point was born. But Iowa was, I think, ranked 15th going into that game, riding high, had won a couple of games, felt good about that game, gets to Indiana, and they have to postpone that game. They have to squeeze that game then into a tough week for Iowa. And Iowa goes on to lose five of their last six of the regular season. They lost the first game in the Big Ten tournament and then lost in the first round, and not even the first round. I guess it, technically I think they called it the first round at that time, but it was the first four. It was the play-in games. They lost uh, in the play-in game, and I think so ultimately lost, what, seven of their last eight games that season after the thing happened at Indiana. Is that the reason? I don't know. I doubt it, but it's easy to look at that schedule, look at that season, point to that incident, and say that's where it all came apart because it didn't get better after that. And will we ultimately look back at this and say this is when it all came apart? Will we ultimately look back at this and say, hey, this was this gave Iowa a chance to, to get healthy, to get Patrick back ready to go? And they went on the road and they beat Ohio State, they beat Michigan State, they came home and beat a ranked Rutgers team. You know I mean? This could go either way. And how much impact this actually has on how it goes uh, would be up for debate. And so I think it was a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of worry uh, about something that ultimately doesn't affect things all that much. I think that Iowa... Feels pretty good now going into Ohio State. An Ohio State team that's lost five in a row, all by single digits, uh, lost late to Nebraska last night uh, in the game on the Big Ten Network just before the airing of the Chris Street documentary. And so you have an Ohio State team that's reeling, that needs a win, that wants a win, that's hungry for a win. But you have an Iowa team that's rolling, coming in off a four-game win streak. Uh, and, and also kind of the way they won a couple of those games. I mean, you have two games, Indiana and Michigan, where you felt like at certain points throughout the night, there was no way you were going to win. Uh, Indiana early in the first half, when, when they jumped out to that 21-point lead, I think they were up by 10 or 11 at halftime even. Uh, but Iowa was able to, to close that, obviously, and win. And then Michigan late in the game. I mean, Iowa was down by seven, and Michigan had the ball with two minutes left, but Iowa found a way to win. So you had two wins like that where you had to really scratch and claw and show how gritty and gutty you are. And then you had two wins that were that were you know not easy. No Big Ten team win is easy, and certainly a, a road win at Rutgers isn't easy. But you had wins that were fairly comfortable in both of those games. And so you've kind of won in every which way possible here in this four-game win streak. And so you feel confident. You feel good going into Ohio State. And even if Ohio State does punch you in the mouth in the first half, and even if that crowd is going and they do feel like they've gotten something back, this is a team that's not going to fold, uh, that's never going to say die, never going to give up. The The way that this Iowa team closes games has just been incredible. I mean, even that Wisconsin loss that uh, went into overtime, I think they closed an eight-point an eight point gap in the last 90 seconds or maybe even less than that in that Wisconsin game. And so this Iowa team does not quit. They don't give up, and they're not going to let a little adversity uh, throw them off. They haven't done that yet. Now, sure, you could say that uh, the three-game losing streak, the Eastern Illinois, Nebraska, and Penn State, uh, was adversity throwing them off, and, and that's, that's a good argument. But uh, for the most part, this, this team hasn't let adversity throw it off. That You look at the Iowa State game, you're coming off a, a tough loss at Duke where you just didn't play very well, and now you're without Chris Murray, and you've got what we now know is a very good Iowa State team coming to town, and you kicked their ass. I mean, that game was over as soon as it started. There was never in question. You come off that three-game losing streak, you lose Patrick McCaffrey for uh, an indefinite amount of time, and you feel like this season could be falling apart, uh, certainly in the first 10 minutes of that Indiana game. 
and you come back and you do what you've done over these last four games, and that's put yourself back into a position uh, to be playing for seeding in the Big Ten tournament, back in your in a position uh, to be comfortably in to the field of the NCAA tournament. And so now you go on the road for a couple of games, uh, a couple of uh, big games here, Ohio State and Michigan State. I think you hope to get a split. Uh, obviously, it'd be great to get both of these. A loss to Ohio State would be worse than a loss at Michigan State, especially with the way Ohio State is playing. But that's a good Ohio State team, a talented roster. Uh, they're not going to be uh, a pushover by any means. And then again, you get that now three-game homestand coming home. Uh, you can really pack Carver-Hawkeye Arena. I'm going to be there on Sunday the 29th. We, uh, my, my dad, my brother, my son, and my nephew were all scheduled to go to the Eastern Illinois game. Um, but the blizzard kind of had us worried, and then they moved that game up into the day, and obviously we weren't able to attend at that point because you know we had work and school and all of those things, and thank God we weren't there for that, man. That, that would have been rough. So the five of us decided to go to this Rutgers game instead, and so so I'm, I'm excited. It'll be my first time inside Carver this season uh, for that Sunday game against Rutgers. Hopefully that gets close to a sellout. Uh, you have that Northwestern game, 8 o'clock on Tuesday, and then the, the now sold-out game against Illinois, one thirty Saturday, February 4th. And that place is going to be hopping for that. Uh, and so you can really start to put yourself in a very good position here uh, before you have to travel to Purdue. Um, and, you know, the Big Ten isn't as strong as maybe we thought it was going to be. And so things have kind of opened up here a little bit for this Hawkeye team. And if they can just kind of rattle off some wins and uh, and do some good things, I think, I think this is all going to be okay. And again, ultimately, I think what happened with the Northwestern stuff is is totally fair um and and I'm okay with it. Now will I be if I loses you know five of its next six probably not. I'll probably be right along with you blaming Northwestern for tanking Iowa's season. Oh well. I quickly want to talk about the the women's basketball team. You know, winners of four in a row now and what one, two, three, four, fives had won six in a row before the loss at Illinois. So ten of their last eleven, riding high, ranked tenth, uh, had a, a interesting win last night. In overtime at Michigan State, uh, I was up three with and 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 with the ball uh, with just a few seconds left, and you had that strange incident with Caitlin Clark, where you know there's not a great camera angle of it. She appears to hit somebody in the face. Now was she was her arm hit by somebody else? Uh, was she just trying to wiggle free? That that's kind of how I see it. She was trying to wiggle free from maybe a grab or, you know, just some jostling that happens uh, before the inbounds throw. And her arm got away from her, and, and she she hit this girl in the face. And um, I think that the intentional call, the intentional foul call, while harsh, was probably the right call based on an objective look at this. I mean, you look at the camera angle, and without trying to, to put intention on anything, the the facts are that Caitlin Clark's hand hits this Michigan State player in the face. And so then, as Chad Lysico, the Morning Register, pointed out, it's almost like a three-possession change because uh, Iowa loses the ball, which they had. Uh, Michigan State gets two free throws to put them dead, dead to within one, and then Michigan State gets the ball. And Iowa's good defense uh, forced a Michigan State turnover in the form of travel, and Iowa holds on to win by three in overtime, 84-81. to 81. Uh, The Hawkeyes now 7-1 in Big Ten play. And just a monster game. Monday at Ohio State. Undefeated Ohio State. Second-ranked Ohio State. Uh, I don't know where Iowa will be in the rankings, but they were 10th in the AP poll this week. They certainly aren't going to fall. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a, a top-10 matchup, if not if not more. 
and uh, and really a chance for Iowa to go and make a statement. You know, they've they they did so at Michigan last a couple Saturdays ago. Um, they they beat a good uh, Iowa State team, and let's let's kind of see. You know, through a few losses early in the year, it kind of felt like okay, if they can hit their stride. Um, it didn't feel like they were a Final Four caliber team quite yet, but they're starting to play like that now, and, and you could really uh, put a lot of money in that bank with a win at Ohio State. I don't think you expect a win at Ohio State, but it's it's Iowa's only game against Ohio State this season. They, they don't get the return trip uh, inside Carver-Hawkeye Arena. So if you, if you want to go and uh, if you want to go win the Big Ten, right, which is what you're projected to do, go do it on Monday night. And this team is so good right now, and, and they're so much fun to watch. And that that game's going to be nationally televised on ESPN2. Uh, I think we'll all be glued to our TVs uh, Monday night. We were glued to our TVs last night, or at least a lot of us were, uh, when it came to the Big Ten Network. And I want to talk a little bit about that Chris Street documentary. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So 30 years is a long time, man. And and like many of you, I remember where I was the night that Chris Street passed away. I remember my dad coming in and getting me out of bed to watch the news uh, when we found out. Because we, you know, Hawkeye basketball is, is my thing, even more so than football. I, there's just so many games, and they were all on TV, and we watched them as a family. And, um, you know, I was always kind of a, a try-hard kid, and, and so I've always, you know, uh, gravitated towards people who work really hard. I, I loved watching Luca Garza become what he became because it wasn't just sheer talent. Now, Chris Street had a hell of a lot of talent, and, and Rick Brown can talk about him as a basketball player way better than I can, and you'll hear that in this segment coming up here. But um, he was also somebody who who wanted to be a Hawkeye, and I, and I connect with that. Right, and, and he and he tried hard, and he, and he wanted it. He really put everything into it, and I connect with that. And so... Uh, I loved Chris Street even as a ten year old, and and uh, it, it affected me at that time even as a ten year old. And then obviously in the thirty years since, uh, learning more about it, talking more about it, the the annual anniversary, but then certainly these every five year kind of big anniversaries, and it's just remarkable uh, the way that it it still hits home, and it, there is still this connection with Iowa's basketball program. Uh, some of the things I took out of that documentary last night, one of them was. Um, just how important this remains to the Iowa basketball program, how important Chris's memory and his family being a part of the program uh, remains to Fran McCaffrey and to the current players, to players like Aaron White, who you saw uh, in after the 20-year anniversary, and obviously to players like Jordan Bohannon, who purposely missed the free throw, said he would forever tie Chris Street's record of 34 in a row, a record that Chris Street was never uh, able to extend or lose. I mean, he he still hasn't missed the next free throw. And so uh, to have that as part of the documentary was fantastic. And again, just to have Fran McCaffrey kind of talk about how how quickly it became apparent to him when he got here that this was an important player 
this memory was an important thing. The legacy was an important thing. The family and them being connected to the program was an important thing. And it, how it has kind of connected generations of coaches and players and fans. Uh, it, it makes me really, really proud to be a Hawkeye fan. It truly does. Um, everything about Chris Street makes you proud to be a Hawkeye fan. Watching those games from the 93 season, the Michigan State game, the first game back, the Michigan game that I referenced earlier, um, the Duke game even before before his death, uh, his last game. Um, it just it, it does make you proud. I thought the documentary was incredibly well done. Uh, well researched. They talked to all of the people you would hope they would talk to, including Rick Brown, including Wade Looking Bill, including, of course, the Street family, several of the former players, including Kenyon Murray, um, Jess Settles, uh, Jim Nance, and, and, and other opposing coaches like, uh, like Tom Izzo, uh, the Chris Street's girlfriend who was in the car and is you know now happily married and, and still works at the university, members of the community. The, the snowplow driver who had never spoken publicly since the trial in 1995. And, and that was a whole kind of piece of this that I didn't know a whole lot about, that I learned a lot about, uh, that you know, gives you a lot of different kinds of emotions, makes you feel, gives you different perspectives on this than, than maybe you've had before. Um, just makes you think about it in a different way. And so all of that was true. And I highly recommend watching this if you haven't seen it. Um, you know, I think everybody listening to this is a Hawkeye fan, but even even non-Hawkeye fans, I would recommend listening to this. This is a, a piece of history from our state that that is important. It remains important. It will always be important to Hawkeye athletics, to Hawkeye basketball, um, to Hawkeye fans everywhere. The, the biggest takeaway I had from this documentary is just how damn sad it is. And it was and it remains for his family. You know, I will always see Chris Street as a larger-than-life basketball player. Um, you know, I remember not long after he died, it must have been a couple of years after, maybe even the next year, my, my older brothers were at the Iowa basketball camp, and I went with my dad to go pick them up, and we got to kind of go down on the court and talk to some of the players. I remember seeing A.C. Earl, just how big he was. He was so huge. And I'd watch these guys on TV for years, but I didn't really comprehend how big they were, right? Um, and that's what Chris Street was. He's larger than life to me. He always will be. He's a jersey. He's a number. He's a story. He's an icon. He's all of these things to me and to you and to most of us. And what really hits home is that he's a person to the people who knew him and the people who loved him. And that, that includes the players and the former coaches, and Tom Davis and the staff, and, and things like that. Um, but more than anybody, it's his family, and, and the way his parents refer to him as Christopher, because he's not Chris Street to them. He's their son, Christopher. And the way his sisters talked about, you know, imagining their kids having Chris as an uncle, and maybe he would have kids, and, and what would they look like, and how would they interact with with you know, their own kids. And, you know, as a, as a guy who has three brothers, uh, that hits me really, really hard. One of the great joys of my life is seeing my kids interact with my brother's kids. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's so much fun. Um, and you know, now as a father and, you know, I was, I was a father at the 25 year anniversary. My son is seven. My daughter is three, but now I, I have more time 
you know, in into it. And you know, the line that that Chris's father says about, you know, you have a son for twenty years, you don't just get over it. I've had a son for seven years, and I can't imagine going a day without him. And so it just it just hammers you, the grief, and the how, how upfront it is still um, for this family and how the mixed emotions it, it must be to have to relive this every year and yet want to relive it every year, want to know that he is, he is being celebrated and, and another generation of Iowans are learning this story and learning about him and looking up to him inside that gym at, at Indianola where they still hold basketball tournaments and still have that mural. Um, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what this must be like, what these last 30 years have been like, and what the next 30 years will be like for the Street family. And, you know, ultimately that is, that's the overwhelming feeling I had having watched that last night. Uh, and it's not a feeling I've had before uh, when, when, when thinking about Chris Street, when talking about Chris Street, even when producing this this next piece that um, that we'll bring back from from KXNO Radio uh, and the Murph and Andy show from five years ago, uh, it hit me differently last night. That's just so damn sad, and it's sad for everybody. And the wound is still fresh in a lot of different ways. It is. I mean, I'm sitting here right now. It's getting dusty in the studio. You know. Um, but I'm just so damn proud to be a Hawkeye. Anyway, uh, coming up here, I, I do plan to do a, uh, an instant reaction podcast on Saturday after the Ohio state game, or at least give you something over the weekend. Um, but I definitely wanted to get on here today, talk about, you know, the, the things that have happened and then, you know, commemorate the the 30th anniversary of the death of Chris street. I, I can think of no better way to do that. Then to bring back this audio, again, this is from the Murph and Andy show uh, on KXML Radio in Des Moines, an iHeart Radio station. Credit to them, courtesy of them. Um, it's Murph, Keith Murphy, Andy Fails, and with them in studio is is Mike Street, Chris's father, Rick Brown, who's the the the, the historian of of Chris Street and of Iowa basketball, and uh, and Wade Lookingbill, a, a former teammate of of Chris. Uh, we'll get to that here in just a moment, and that, that'll kind of wrap up the podcast. I do appreciate you listening, and go Hawks. Friday, January 19th marks the 25th anniversary of the death of Chris Street in a car accident midway through Chris's junior season. Uh, the death shocked and devastated fans across Iowa and beyond, and uh, we have three guests in the studio. We're going to tell you everything about what's going on at the University of Iowa on Saturday to commemorate the 25th anniversary. But we have Chris's dad, Mike Street. We have Rick Brown, who has written uh, Emotion in Motion, The Life and Legacy of Chris Street, a new book. And Wade Looking Bill, a friend and teammate of Chris Street. Gentlemen, thank you for coming here for uh, hour number two. You bet. Thanks for having us, Murph. Glad yeah, to be here. Andy. It's good, good to be here. Um, Mike? What is what is what is the best and worst part of these anniversaries? Well, the best part is uh, we're happy that people remember him, and we appreciate all the 
coverage in the media and the, and the University of Iowa has just been tremendous. Um, couldn't ask for any more. Uh, the tough part is is remembering how much you miss him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's good and con, but some days it's, uh, you know, 100 years ago and some days it's yesterday. So do you get emotional? It sounded to me like you're getting emotional right there just thinking about it. Is is that a, a, a daily occurrence or how often does it still hit you? Well, and, you know, I mean, a lot of people have lost uh, siblings. And, mm-hmm. and the thing I tell them, uh, you know, number one, you can make it. Number two, you take it day by day. Number three, it's like a scab. You never, you know, it can be hit, and some days it'll break open, and sometimes it won't. And either way, it's okay. So how, how do you handle this? Um, you know, it seems like it was just yesterday they were talking about the 20th anniversary of, of, of this accident. Um, I know that the university has done a number of things in the past. Are you just kind of always up for any new honor that they want to do, any new story that somebody wants to tell uh, about Chris, or, or do you try to... Or are there sometimes where you you've said, okay, I I don't want to talk about it this year? No, actually, Andy. I mean, there's been a few things I've said no. I don't think that's appropriate. Probably a few things I should have, I didn't. Uh, but overall, I, I'm I'm glad that people want to remember him, and so we're open arms and and uh, trying to uh, help that in any cause. Uh, so I, I just you know just like you guys, I I feel privileged and honored that to be here and uh and have you guys do this so again thank you it seems like a good time to to tell everybody what's going on this saturday the iowa men's basketball team will host purdue ranked purdue saturday that game is at 11 a.m chris's parents and family members will be there along with a number of teammates coaches and support staff long list of iowa alums including numerous former winners of the chris street award will be there There'll be a halftime video and presentation at center court looking back on Chris's life and legacy. Uh, Throughout the game, video interviews will play on the video board. Uh, Hawkeye players will wear Chris Street shooting shirts during pregame warm-ups. The coaching staff will wear lapel pins. Chris's number 40 jersey will cover an empty chair on the Hawkeye bench. Fans are encouraged to wear white clothing. Uh, They can buy the commemorative number 40 white shirts at the game. There will be white wristbands with CMS Forever 40 handed out to fans. And Rick Brown, author of the book Emotion in Motion, The Life and Legacy of Chris Street, will sign books before the game on the concourse. So that is a, a full day. And, and Rick, writing this book, what was the most difficult part? Boy, the most difficult part, I guess, was uh, wanting to make sure I got it right because – Chris is a unique young man, was a unique young man, and uh, I really enjoyed him, and I wanted to get his story out there and tell it the best way I could. Uh, I was honored that Mike and Patty asked me to do it a few years back. We finally got her done. And uh, at times I got kind of emotional researching it and talking to people when they got emotional. It was was kind of tough in that way, but, uh, man, the, the memories, there's so many positive memories that always got me through those moments. It isn't, and Rick, you've covered so so many players in, in, in your long career at the Des Moines Register, but I, am I right in guessing that there was something special about covering a player um, who was from the central Iowa area, kind of immediately represented by the Des Moines Register, somebody that you would have seen come up through the high school ranks and maybe already knew his, his family better? And um, 
so you were a little bit more plugged in to him as he became a, a, a star with the Hawkeyes? I think that's very accurate, you know, Central Iowa kid. And to see him come from Humiston, Iowa, not a big, big town, to get to the Big Ten was quite a remarkable story. And to see him getting better and better and then to have it end just suddenly. You know, people. someone made a good point with me. If it had been Val Barnes, you would have felt bad, but he was from Wichita, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Chris Street was from Homestead, Indianola. He was an Iowa kid, and that made it even harder. Yeah, uh, I, and there was because I'm often asked because it, hard as this is to believe now, and I've had it wash over me the, these past few days. Uh, the Hawkeye fans under the age of 30 don't really remember Chris playing. That's how fast the years go by. That that hit me hard when I when I realized that. Um, it was a different time and age. Uh, the Hawkeye basketball stars were even bigger than life than they are now. Um, those Hawkeye teams were good, but but Chris had a charisma, and the way he played the game really appealed to people. And then you know this 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 shocking death happens after a team dinner in the middle of the season, uh, right after a game against Duke. Right, that was the, right. the previous game, and. I don't know. Over the uh, when I'm asked by people, especially Cyclone fans, what it would be like, the only thing I can come up with is it'd be like losing Fred Hoiberg in the middle of the season. It is would you agree with that, Rick? Absolutely. In fact, in the introduction to the book, I kind of wrote with that in mind because um, Fred and Chris were AEU teammates, and Mike doesn't remember, Patty doesn't remember, but uh, Fred stayed with the streets a few nights when they had practice in Des Moines, and he and he and Chris got to be friends and. Fred talking about uh, playing against Chris in the front of that Iowa press and uh, how difficult that was and how much he admired him and how the two became such good friends. But yeah, and and you know Fred with his heart issues, you know, that was that was pretty tough there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking, you know, he he sidestepped a tragedy, but I think uh, very similar. Let's bring in Wade Looking Bill and Wade, what what was Chris like as a teammate? I know that you've been asked this before, but as you look back over 25 years ago, does that fade at all? No, I don't think so. I think uh, I think everything that everybody saw um, on the on the court—that's exactly what Chris was off the court. Just smile on his face, having fun, enjoying life, and just. Uh, yeah, Wade, we're not hearing you very well. Unfortunately, I don't think your microphone is coming in. We're we'll, going to move you over to the yeah. Other, we'll, uh, we'll move you to another microphone. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, if you okay, would, I'm up here. sorry about that. And, you know, it, um, it's funny, I, was not, I wasn't in the news media at the time, but I was a senior at Drake, and the Knapp Center had just opened at Drake, and Iowa, that was the first game that I saw uh, was uh, Iowa coming to Drake, and there was, as I recall, kind of a cheering section made up of just Chris Street fans there at the Knapp Center. Back in the day, Drake wasn't very good, so Iowa would come to play Drake, and there would be far more Iowa fans there than than Drake fans. But there was something special there. Again, this is a guy that's, you know, this is an opportunity for a lot of these Chris Street fans, Hawkeye fans, to see him without driving all the way to Iowa City. So they, they really took advantage of that. But he was kind of the guy, I, I imagine he had sort of his own cheering section oftentimes at, at Carver Hawkeye Arena just being the local star. And that's so true. And Wade has a great story about after the Duke game, Wade, when you yeah. guys went out on yeah. campus at Duke. Tell that story. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I guess this, the, 
I think the whole story is just filled with a lot of ironic events, and and one of them being that, you know, here's a kid that just loves playing basketball, loves playing college basketball, loves playing college basketball for Iowa, and his last game before he's killed is 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 at Duke, and you know, arguably the mecca of college basketball. And we we went down there. It was a Saturday afternoon game, and um, Leitner was gone, but you know, Grant Hill was still there, Bobby Hurley was still there, and Duke is still Duke is still Duke, and. Um, uh, we were tied at half, or it was close at half, and we and we lost by seven or eight. But, but, but we fought. You know, I, I think we were ranked tenth or twelfth. We we had a good team that year, and um, it was a Saturday afternoon game, and we um, we we weren't going to fly out till the next day. So, being good college kids like we are, we go out Saturday night and kind of roam around, see what's going on, and stumble into not stumble, but attend <laughs> yeah. attend some parties and. Uh, um, it was just amazing that that even on Duke's campus, that that kids and students would flock to Chris, you know, because mm. it's a it's a small school. I mean, there's it's probably not much bigger than Drake, just a private school, and um, but that was the way it was whenever you were whenever you were with Chris, whether you were at a basketball camp for fourth graders, or you were signing autographs after practice, or you were at a Iowa football game. Or on Duke's campus after we played Duke, and every and everybody there was so knowledgeable about basketball, and they're asking Chris questions, and you know, good game, and why'd you do this, and why'd you do that. But that's just the kind of kid he was, and everybody flocked to him. You know, I think that's why that why this legacy has lasted so long. Or part of it is just that uh, he was happy, enjoyed life, and just loved playing basketball for the University of Iowa. The hashtag is Forever Forty with the number forty. If you uh, if you have a comment or want to share a story or a memory or have a question for uh, Wade Looking Bill or Mike Street, Chris's dad, or Rick Brown, who has written the new book, um, Rick, as we mentioned, there there are people that are uh, no longer young that don't remember Chris Street playing basketball or or his death. But for those of us who are old enough to have, to have been here when it happened. It is hard to describe what it was like in the state. Um, this was before social media, for one thing, um, and, and it was easier to get attention on one team or one game, so there, it, w- it was a different time. But I've heard uh, many people describe it as like Iowa's JFK moment or mm-hmm. 9-11 moment. They just knew where they were when they, when they got the news. And um, Wade, you had just had a team dinner. Rick, you were working at the Des Moines Register, and uh, of course, Mike is uh, Chris's dad. So just wondering if uh, each of you could take us back through uh, 25 years ago and, and how you found out. I, uh, I was at home, and uh, we got a phone call. I remember I answered the phone in the kitchen. Why I remember this, I don't know, but it was someone at work telling me there had been an accident, and Chris had passed away, and I said, okay, and I hung up the phone. I went up to my wife and I said, you aren't going to believe this. I said, Chris Street was killed. She says, what? I said, Chris Street was killed. And she started asking me a question. I said, that's all I can say. It sticks to me to this day. Just shell-shocked. Yeah, stunned. Um, Mike, how, how, did, how did you find out? Well, uh, and Rick addresses this in the book, but uh, Basically, I was at ho- just got home from, we owned a ga- uh, convenience store back then, and, and just got home, and Patty uh, took over. And uh, sheriff come, or deputy sheriff come to the door, and I thought, well, guys probably sold some underage people some beer or something, you know. Or, but uh, then he asked me if I owned uh, this uh, certain type of car, and I said yes. And 
he said there had been an accident and I said how bad and he said fatal and I dropped to the floor and uh, once I finally gathered myself and he says, well, we need to talk to your wife because uh, this is going to break and we want to make sure everybody gets notified as soon as possible. <clears throat> so he took me down to the gas station and, and I said, hon, you need to go home with this guy. And, and I said, there's been an accident and, and uh, Chris didn't make it. Well, that didn't register with her. And she said, "Where's what hospital is he in? Where's he at? Where we got to go. So anyway, I finally got it through to her and I just closed down the store and went home. And <clears throat> by that time, we had a house full of people already and and so forth but that's uh, that's how i was notified wade you had just had a, a team dinner so uh from leaving the the team dinner to to finding out what do you remember yeah so i was back in my i'd gone back to my apartment i was going to go back and shoot that night later that night at carver we we're going to play northwestern the next day and and one of the managers kevin ralston called me and said um he said hey you need to get to the arena to carver there's been an accident and the first thing I thought it was my family, my mom, dad, my sisters or something. And um, I kind of pressed him on it because I could tell he was very emotional. And he just said Chris had been in a car accident. And uh, so I drove to the arena. And at Carver, you know, there's there, there's that tunnel you go through to get back to the buses and the parking lot there. And there's there's people everywhere. And, you know, again, this is 93, so nobody really knows for sure what happened or what's going on. Just At least I knew that Chris was in a car accident. And, uh, but you could tell, you could just sense that it was more than that. And it's funny that the things you remember, um, like Rick mentioned, for me it was Kevin Skillett. Kevin Skillett pulled me aside, and Kevin was from the Quad Cities and was the boys' coach at Bettendorf, and now he's the AD over at Bettendorf. And um, Kevin and I were teammates, but we weren't, we weren't close. We were just friends and you know teammates. But he pulled me aside, and he said, um, he said I, I just want you to know that, um, that Chris was killed in a car accident tonight, and he's dead. And then um, – you know, it's just everything just kind of stops, and we had a meeting, and Coach Davis had a meeting, and he talked about something, and nobody, really, you know, who knows, just trying to get through the night, and then, then just everything started from there. Rick, how did the Register's coverage of that event? This has been, you know, in the day the Register is really a, a statewide paper, and everyone probably waiting to take their cue from the Register. How did that coverage begin? Do you, do you recall? You know, since I wasn't working that night, I can't be. Totally honest with you. Other so than you didn't that, go in. To, you didn't go into work until I, the I next did go day. into work, but by the time I was there, you know the story was, it was humming. It was humming, yeah. And uh, I think we got a phone call from the register. Got a phone call from someone. Bef- then it was just a rumor that there had been an accident involving several Iowa basketball players. So they were tracking it down. Iowa was very proactive that night. They put out a statement r- right after the team meeting. Wade is talking about with Coach Davis. They put out a statement that. Chris had passed, so it was you know verified pretty quick. But it was almost right before ten o'clock. I mean, it was live. It was live. Uh, I know the local stations had it by then to go with it live. And ESPN, it was their lead story at ten o'clock. So between nine thirty and ten, it was a real scramble to to get it down. This was a good Iowa basketball team, and the next and and Rick, you know this information. Uh, uh, Certainly better than I do, so if I get any of this wrong, please jump in and, and correct me. The next two games were postponed? Yes. The next two correct. games. They didn't play again until they postponed the Northwestern game, right? Penn State, at Penn State, I think, was the other. You, you Penn State and at, Northwestern. At Michigan State would have been the next one on the 28th. And that was so, the first game they played. So that is nine days later, and uh, Iowa gets in a... A tremendous hole. Is it 17 points, Wayne? I think it was 18. 18. I think we're down, eight, 
18 points. 17 with under four. Three and a half. 17, down 17, under four minutes to go in the first game uh, since, since Chris passed. And Iowa uh, just stages an emotional, epic comeback and forces overtime. Missed them both. And there's nobody home for the rebound except the gold and black of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Barnes, he's going to try to tie it. And he did it! What a shot! What a shot! I mean, he was way out there. So Iowa goes on to win that game. And... Uh, Mike, do you remember watching that game, or was it what? Did, what was your approach to that first game? Oh, I'm sure I did watch it. Uh, uh, <laughs> the thing I remember more than anything is uh, you know the great victory number one and and feeling for the boys. But uh, next time I seen John Streifer, he might have even called me or text. Well, I wouldn't text back. He, he called. He called you that <laughs> night. He called yeah. me and he said, "Mike, Chris was here." He said. Yep. It was uh, it was unbelievable, but he was knocking their free throws off and putting ours in. He was here, which people who know John Streve knows <laughs> he's a great guy and, and gets very emotional. But uh, that that's what I remember about that evening. But Mike, how did you start hearing from players immediately following the accident? Do you remember who called you or who you heard from first? Oh no, I don't really, Andy. To be honest with you, but we. I just decided that we needed to be at the games to support the kids. Uh, you know, we knew it was tough for them too, so uh, <clears throat> several of them would come over, maybe at warm ups, and shake our hands or say something. But uh, I don't think I really. I mean, I don't remember Wade getting. I mean, I'm, Wade's been a great friend and great uh, person all through this uh, event. And we like him and, too. Yeah. <laughs> contrary to what uh, a lot of people say about him, he's okay. But uh. Uh, That is the voice of Mike Street, Chris's father. So then the first home game is Michigan and the Fab Five. First home game uh, since the death of Chris Street. And that's that's the team that was uh, the Chicago Bulls of college basketball. It was like uh, traveling rock stars when that group showed up. And Iowa is, is without one of its best players, and uh, there's the first home game, and and Mike, you're at this game, right? Correct. And and Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, imagine it's Super Bowl yeah. Sunday. Imagine nowadays not realize a that. And it, game leading it's Nance and Packer yeah. doing the game too on Super Bowl yeah. Sunday. And this is uh, some of that game which Iowa won. They won't even foul them now. Iowa has won at home. This was a game that the University of Iowa needed and the state of Iowa had to have. Jim Nance uh, with some well-chosen words there. Wade, Chris Street was, uh, was your friend. He was your teammate. How difficult was it to take his spot in the lineup? Yeah, it was, it was really hard. You know, I, I tell people, too, that um, you know, basketball, that two and a half hours of practice every day, that was the easy part. You know, because you're you're at practice and you're still trying to get better and you you kind of got a job to do. You know, you're 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 there for a reason and that's why you're in school to to play basketball, but once basketball was over, once practice was over, that's when it was hard. That's when it was hard because you missed your friend. You know, you missed your friend and and doing things together and and just um how, how did just, Dr. Uh, how did Dr. Tom handle that? What did he do? He was really good. He was really good with it. Um you know, I I think he let everybody deal with it as as they needed to and um he would still try to keep his focus with basketball because we still had a pretty good team you know there was there was this gaping hole that wasn't there but we still had parts that and we still had a chance now everything kind of 
faded at the end and and it just didn't work out but um he was really good you know i think looking back you know everybody's a kid chris is a kid i'm a kid everybody on the team you, you don't know how to react to stuff like this but he was really good just letting everybody deal with it on their own seems like he'd be the the perfect guy for that um rick brown has has written the book on the life and legacy of chris street emotion in motion which is available now um rick what was it inevitable that that team would kind of hit the wall after that emotion that carried them to uh, to some wins and what do you remember about uh, what those guys were like as they just tried to get to the finish line yeah you, you, personally i kept thinking they're going to hit the wall at some point and you played indiana at home wade it was the first loss after that and indiana was number one i think they won the big 10 that year 17 and one and uh you could just kind of sense that this team had hit the wall, and you you struggled there. They struggled for a few games, but then you found yourselves. You got your legs again and finished fairly strong. Got the NCAA tournament second yeah, we, round. Yeah, we were a fourth seed, right. which you know I would take that tomorrow in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, would you, you know. think? Um, but uh, yeah, and again, just 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 the irony that comes with the story. We played at Nashville. I forget who we beat in the first round. Uh, Northeast Louisiana. There you go. There it is. And I remember um, it well. And um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> second round we played uh, Wake Forest, and they had a power forward named Rodney Rogers, and he was like a big grizzly bear. He was tough, left-handed, and it's funny because I had room with Chris on, on on the road that year, and you know when when you're on the road, you watch a lot of basketball, and we'd see Wake Forest play, and Chris would comment about, man, I I, I really want to play against Rodney Rogers. I'd like to play against him. I, I think they were in the same class, and that was our last game. Is uh, um, we got beat. It was a close game, lost to Wake Forest, and Rodney Rogers had thirty-two and fifteen or something. I, you know, just think, well, he wouldn't have had that if Chris Street would have been playing. Wade, looking, Bill, uh, Rick Brown, Mike Street, all here, and uh, uh, Kimberly has called in. Kimberly will take your call in just a moment. Two eight four five nine six six two eight four KX. No, if you have a a question or comment on the uh, life and legacy of Chris Street for one of these gentlemen or just a comment in general. The hashtag we're using is forever40. But, but Mike, before uh, we go to our first break here, just uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, Chris, is, Chris Street, your son, he is now a gymnasium and, and a park and a basketball tournament uh, and an MVP award at the University of Iowa, among other things. Um, how How much do you want to just remind people of, of the flesh and blood the ac- the actual person that there was because sometimes much like when i talk about niall kinnick or jack trice it it seems to me at times that it's not a person anymore it's a statue or something so so what do you do to keep his his flesh and blood alive well i think i think wade's one of my best representatives there he tells everybody you know he was a great basketball player and hustled but he also had a lot of talent and that's just something I think gets lost too because of his hustle. But bottom line to us, he was just a, our son. Uh, but uh, I, you know, it's it's I don't know. We just take it as it comes, I guess, Keith. And we're, we we uh, we think people, and a lot of times, and, and Rick uh, has a great uh, the book uh, talks about him as a person, probably more than more than actually a lot more than the player uh, that's kind of what the book's about here and honestly as i think about this a little bit so yeah i think uh that a lot of people that really knew him knew that uh, the people that didn't know him probably just knew the hustle on the court and the skills and and i and wade's made the comment before that 
you know, Chris was good and he hustled, but he's probably the best athlete on the team for his total athletic ability. And uh, that's what people sometimes get lost. I mean, he had the passing, he had the hands, he had the feet, uh, and he had the, a, a good basketball sense. And uh, you think that's pretty common when you're around it all the time, but as you look, uh, you find out it's not. So, Well, Fred Hoiberg <clears throat> mentions in, in Rick's book that uh, uh, Chris was a nightmare at the front of that press <laughs> with that wingspan that seemed to go for days. And, and uh, Fred uh, must know we're doing this today. He sent me a text today just uh, wanting to remind everybody what a great person uh, Chris was. And, and Fred, speaking of great people... Wore number 40, which uh, the next year he wore number 40. I thought that was one of the classiest gestures I've ever seen. You know, they were rivals. They were friends. It's Iowa and Iowa State. But he went out there in that number 40. I thought that was magnificent. Actually, Morgan Weed, I think, was the first was one. Was he the first one to I do it? I think he was. He finished he, up the 92-93 season. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, good guy. But I'd say this while you're on that. Uh, Iowa State was class all the way in the way they handled it. And Jim Hallahan and, and Johnny Orr, I really appreciate that. So... Iowa State fans, I'm going to give you a little credit there. <laughs> but, <laughs> go, but go that. Hawks. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll come back with a couple of your phone calls. Kimberly, hang on, 284-5966, as we talk about the life and the legacy of Chris Street. The book is Emotion in Motion, uh, The Life and Legacy of Chris Street, written by Rick Brown, who is in studio with us, along with... Um, Chris's friend and teammate, Wade Lookingbill, and Chris's father, Mike Street. And we have a, a couple of calls here we're going to take. A lot of thoughts pouring in on Twitter with the hashtag Forever40 and a couple of other social media platforms. But uh, Kimberly joins us. Uh, Kimberly, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Um, hey, Mike, I just wanted to let you know. So I was a Indianola basketball player. In, I graduated in 96 and... I can remember very, very vividly um, playing basketball basketball um, as a freshman with um, Ron Worling and Coach Wetzler, and Chris would be on break and from from the Hawkeyes, and he would come in, and I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm going to be super emotional over this, but um, he would come in and help us out, like try to teach us what he what he learned, and it was amazing. He was. He was the nicest guy, and his his family is so nice. And his sister Sarah would, um, I think her last year on the court was was when I was a freshman, and they just were the sweetest, sweetest family. And it was such an emotional experience when to see him play at at Carver Hawkeye Arena was amazing. My dad had um, taken us all up to see the Hawkeyes because we were all so proud of Chris. I mean, he had the entire town behind him and it wasn't shortly thereafter that that he passed away and I can honestly tell you it was like one of the first times that I'd seen my dad cry and it was just so emotional and we all came to the funeral and I think the entire town was there if not it felt like the whole state but um Mike even now like I live really close to Indian still when I pass your store I think about you guys and he Honestly, I'm so glad you guys are having this segment because he really was a great person to take his break and spend it with a bunch of bratty kids to teach us, <laughs> how, yeah, teach us the skills that he was learning. Um, it was just a, such a great guy, and I really appreciated having that extra insight. And it was like, an, I mean, for those of you guys that 
never got to meet him in person. When he walked into a room, it was like the world stopped because he was, he did. He, I think you guys had said he always had the smile on his face. He, that is absolutely true. And he just had this stature. He was so big and it was fun to watch him because when he started out playing as a, a scrawny freshman and then that first year at Iowa, he just got so big and it just went along with that big smile and that big personality. And, he was definitely taken from us too soon, but he was just a great guy. So I, I, I really wanted to let you guys know that. Yeah, I really appreciate your comments, and I'll uh, I'll take credit for the skills, although Patty would argue with me. But, uh, <laughs> I will I will give her the credit for the person he was. She done a heck of a job raising him. Uh, thank you, Kimberly. Really appreciate you sharing. Get back to the calls here in just a moment, but but Rick, having worked on this subject so much. Um, how do you explain that that this you just heard Kimberly mm-hmm. I mean th- this isn't a death five months ago or, or or a year ago this is 25 years ago and it still gets people emotional pretty quickly what, what do you think that what do you think the reason is for that that's that's the legacy I, I try to portray in the book right there you know you figure it's been 25 years. People are going to let go and not remember, but everyone remembers. Even people who weren't alive have learned about him and remember. It's uh, it's remarkable. But I think he was – everyone considered him like part of the family. Kind of. They watched him on TV. He was a Central Iowa kid. You know, they identified with him. Played his tail end off. Everyone loved him. And, and he had time for everybody. That's that's a remarkable thing. He, he never turned anybody down, request down, spend time with kids. He was he was just a great guy, and you know that was one of the one of the tough things is that people had to let go of someone near and dear to their heart. Joe uh, has a, a thought here on the on the show. Hi, Joe. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Uh, this is actually uh, geared towards Mike. Uh, I don't know if you knew or not. Coach K has a podcast on XM that he does, and just about a week ago, week and a half ago, he was mentioning Chris and how Chris was the most one of the most relentless players he ever coached against. Now, there, we're we're going to look that up. I, I can see Rick the wheels spinning in Rick Brown's head. He'll <laughs> he'll have that looked up quickly. My my question my question is uh, for you though, Mike. At, I was I'm 37, so I was roughly 13 when it happened. I remember it so well. But after the time it happened, did you ever hear from guys like Bobby Knight, Gene Cading, uh, Coach K? If there's any uh, quick stories you could share with us, I'll hang up and listen. Uh, didn't hear anything personally. Uh... Through the media, uh, we got cards from, I think, all those that you mentioned. Uh, Bobby Knight actually uh, had a, uh, a ribbon attached to him the, the next night or when the next time they played, and he actually sent that ribbon to us to just wanted us to know that uh, he was thinking about us. Uh, Coach K, I remember uh, actually uh, getting a letter. Uh, <laughs> of course, Bob Hurley, you bring him up. There's a good little uh, story, and I'm surprised Wade didn't. And I don't think Rick got Talk about this. that off the air. Uh, no, <laughs> Bobby Hurley story. No, but anyway, Christopher and Bobby Hurley were going at it pretty good, and and Christopher he went in for he thought he had a layup, and Christopher came out of nowhere and blocked it, and and I'm sure he didn't foul him, although Bobby thought he did. But anyway, so they were chatting at each other pretty good, and I remember during the timeout uh, they were chatting, and I remember somebody at the end of the game, I don't know where I seen this or, but said, uh, "What would you? What were you and Bobby Hurley talking about?" And he said, well, I just want to know how his family was doing. <laughs> Coach Close said uh, that Christopher told him at one point, he said, why don't you just shut up and play? Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, he did tell him that too. But. 
Uh, Brent uh, next here on the Murph and Andy Show. Hi, Brent. You have a, uh, a memory of Chris Street? I do, guys. I was born and raised in Indianola, and my dad, Bruce Brockway, used to take us into the dairy suite each morning for coffee, and it was always the coolest thing. If we got lucky, Chris might stop in, and um, he very sincerely would go out of his way to ask us kids, you know, what our favorite sport was and how things were going in our lives. And uh, one day when my daughter's old enough, she'll definitely know who, who Chris Street was. So love the show and uh, especially love the segment this afternoon. So great to hear you guys talking about it. Thank you, Brent. Uh, the thing that must happen all the time, Mike, and you must take great comfort in this, like uh, um, my my son, who's now 13, but a couple of years ago when he played in his first Chris Street tournament, he stood there at uh, you, you know at the glass case at Indianola in the Chris Street gymnasium and asked, Dad, who who was Chris Street? And I told him a little bit about it. And then this week I showed him Rick's book. And, and then, you know, it gets passed on through some of these living legacies. Yeah, that tournament's been a great, uh, great tool, I think, for people to learn about Christopher. And, and uh, the, the trophy case there and then the gym, the mural that uh, Mr. Kling done is just out of this world. So, yeah, that, that, that does. It's been a good, uh, been a good item. You mentioned Jim Hallahan, and now he uh, calls in uh, here with a with a thought on Chris Street. Jim, welcome to the show. Jim, the uh, former associate head coach at Iowa State during those years. Hey guys, uh, Mike. Good to hear your voice, and good to hear the subject today. And I was picking up my granddaughter uh, after school and listened to the show, and it certainly brought back memories. And I just wanted to reemphasize that how how it was an impact to the entire state. Our team was devastated. Um, I remember after practice, when we didn't have very good practice, that we actually got a bus and came down to Indianola the night before the funeral and uh, visited during the visitation. And it was just such a shock to see somebody like Chris not with us anymore. And I remember just before we left, I don't know how it happened, but we just, the players all got in a big huddle. All the Iowa State players got in the huddle, and, and everybody was just crying. It was so so emotional and then we were only at Iowa State a couple more years but we always had uh, a number 40 on our team as we did a couple years later when Brian Pearson passed away and we had a number three so you know when you're from Iowa as you guys know it's it's a state it's not you know divided up and Chris certainly his tremendous enthusiasm and the way he plays so hard most big guys didn't play as hard as he did I remember when he was a freshman he was kind of lost out there and we were able to get him pretty good and we went back to Iowa when he was a junior. Whew, man, he was great. And they really kicked our, <laughs> kicked our butt that game. And he was just so intense and played so hard. Uh, he would have had a great future as a player and a father and a husband and, and like me someday, a grandfather. So it was a big loss, and it certainly was, uh, it certainly was effective at Iowa State in terms of how the players felt about him because you mentioned the AAU basketball and the way they were together. Yeah, Jim, I, I always tell the story um, when Christopher O'Reilly, um, the Wood boy, I forget his first name. Terry Woods. Terry Ter- Wood was over at camp and, and when I offered him, and, and we hadn't uh, made a decision, and we no more walked into the to the house and you were on the phone and, <laughs> <laughs> and said, hey, we want him up here to do camps and this and that and, you know, why we shouldn't uh, declare real quick. And, and I, you know, I listened very contently, and I was trying to figure out why we shouldn't, but I, you know, I didn't because we didn't give Tom the commitment right then. 
although he has a different uh, version of that. Uh, but We would have loved to have him on our team. We, we might have been national champs with him and Fred and Lauren and Mulo and Hurl. That would have been a great, great team. But anyway, then right after we did uh, commit, uh, you were on the phone again uh, almost uh, instantly, and Christopher answers the phone, and, and uh, I'm pointing to him, and I realized who it was, and, and I said, you tell him. You know, you tell him. And he says, here, Dad wants to talk to you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you remember that or not. But, uh, you know, I do. And the biggest difference back then and now is once we knew he committed, it was over. Yeah. We didn't recruit him anymore. Now, now yeah. that means nothing. That well, means nothing. but you made, you made the comments that we'd sure love to have him if anything ever changes. And, and the door's right. always open. And I just respected the way uh, – you handle it and, and class all the way, Jim. So thanks for everything. Well, thank, Jim, thank you, you for, guys, for sharing Yeah, that. thanks for having us on the radio. That's great. You bet. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Mark, you uh, you knew Chris at the University of Iowa? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. It still kind of chokes me up 25 years later. Um, I was with uh, Chris at an institution that uh, Wade probably knows very well called Friday's Barbershop that Tuesday night uh, before he went out to that team meeting. And um, it's just myself and Chris in, in that barbershop, and we were visiting about uh, the Duke basketball game and uh, how I, I believe he hit, set the state's, uh, the University of Iowa school record for consecutive free throws and just visited in basketball in general. And, you know, Chris was the uh, consummate Iowa guy, you know, Iowa values. Uh, guy was a god on campus, but just an everyday guy when you went and visited with him, so. You know, I'd just like to pass on thoughts and prayers to Mike and your family. You know, continue 25 years later. Yeah, Chris is still missed uh, very much. I can hear it in your voice. Uh, thank you, Mark. Um, Jake, you'll uh, you'll get the, the final word here on uh, Memories of Chris Street. Uh, hi, guys. I'm from Indianola, growing up there right now, and I'm a junior currently in high school. So I've, I uh, played in all those street tournaments, and I would – um, see that mur- intramural like every single day of Chris Street just while I was practicing or just in school and it just always reminded me that it's so much bigger than basketball because I'm probably the biggest Iowa State one of the biggest Iowa State fans there is but just nothing but like compassion and love for those Hawks and everyone in the state of Iowa had to go through that death. Uh, very nicely said, Jake. Thank, thank you for sharing there as we uh, wrap up our time here with, with Mike Street, Rick Brown, and Wade Lookingbill. Um, Wade, Wade, starting with you, I just want to give uh, each of the three of you just uh, an opportunity, how, just in your own words, how, how you would like for Chris to be remembered. Yeah, I just, um, I just, I just miss my friend, I guess, is, is the one thing that, that I wanted to share. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to know him off the basketball court. Not many people can say that. And, um, again, just what, what, whatever anybody saw on the court, that's what he was off the court. And just like to have a lot of fun and um, was a good kid and just loved playing basketball for Iowa. Rick? The thing I miss the most is the smile. If you knew Chris Street, he had one incredible smile. And uh, you'd come up to interview him, he'd be smiling. You'd go up to him after a game, he'd be smiling. The guy just was loving life, and that's the way I remember him. Mike, I guess I just need to thank everybody for all their support and uh, go Hawks and let's get Purdue like we did Wisconsin. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. The uh, the book is Emotion in Motion, uh, the life and legacy of Chris Street. It's available now. 